Philippians. My friend Josh Gill told me this week that our passage for today was the most highlighted passage in the Kindle version of the Bible in the year 2014. So it's going to be familiar to you. This is Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7. Let's read it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to see another version of this passage. This is how N.T. Wright translates the same passage. Will you read it with me? Celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again. Celebrate. Let everybody know how gentle and gracious you are. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Rather, in every area of your life, let God know what you want. As you pray and make requests and give thanks as well. And God's peace, which is greater than we can ever understand, will keep guard over your hearts and your minds in King Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. On the Christian calendar, joy shows up as a topic once a year. During Advent, when for me the daylight is in short supply and high demand, this is the time of year when I am feeling the Christmas crunch. I'm not certain that I'm going to get all my shopping or my preparations done before Christmas. I'm wondering how everything that sits on my calendar in the next 10 days is going to happen. And then there's work. It's a busy time for people who work in the church. Most evenings at our dinner table, our children ask the question, what was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day, and what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? My kids laughed this week when I said I was excited for December the 26th. Joy shows up as a topic each year when I'm having a hard time finding it. This is the time of year that I misplace joy or I hide it from myself or I'm simply just persevering until it arrives. It's like I'm waiting for joy. If I can just survive the next 10 days, then there will be joy. Then I'll experience joy. Not too long ago, I ran into a, a friend that I hadn't seen in a while he said that he often prays for me, and he asked how I was doing. I said, well, I'm about to turn 50, and my late 40s have been rather challenging. So I'm thinking if I can just get into my 50s, then I'm going to have it made. Then I can enjoy life. This is an older friend, so he laughed, and he said, I found that in every stage of life, there's a new challenge. Paul wrote, did you catch it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. He essentially said to the Philippians, what are you waiting for? Go ahead. Rejoice. Now and always. Philippians is just four short chapters. It's a short book in the Bible. But let me remind you some of the things that we learn about the faithful in Philippi in just a few pages. In the opening chapter, Paul refers to those who oppose the Philippians and cause them suffering. This could have been a social threat. You know, it could have been something like betrayal. 
or it could have been a physical threat. It very well could have been an actual physical attack. That was not unheard of in the early church, the early church that sat in an imperial setting like Philippi. Either way, this group that Paul is writing to knows the kind of pain that can be imposed upon us by other people. Then in in chapter 3 in this book, Paul writes about some bad teachers. He refers to them as dogs. He calls them dogs, and he tells the Philippians that these dogs are going to try to mislead you. They're going to mislead you by telling you that you can earn your righteousness, that you can accomplish it through what you do. Instead of teaching that God's grace is given fully to all, no matter your social status. Like when Paul wrote to the Galatians, there is no longer slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female. But that's not all that's going on in Philippi. It's not just the bad teachers and the suffering. There's also a disagreement. There's a disagreement between two leaders in the church and their women, Euodia and Syntyche. They're at odds with one another. But their interpersonal issue has become bigger than just the two of them. It's like the whole, go- the whole congregation is affected by their interpersonal issue. And so Paul calls them to unity. He tells them to find common ground instead of amplifying a minor disagreement. But that sounds like an ancient issue. That wouldn't happen today. We don't do that. Take a disagreement with another person in the church and amplify it by trying to win converts to see things my way and at the same time casting blame on the other person or the other people who don't see it my way at all. They're just heretics or they're just haters. We don't do that. If we did do that, Paul would call us to common ground Because he says that both Euodia and Syntyche's names are written in the book of life. Both of them. One doesn't win over the other. His immediate instruction after addressing this blown out of proportion disagreement, the thing that happens right after addressing the agreement, the words that he writes are rejoice in the Lord always. That's the very next verse. It's as if he's saying the life of faith is complicated. It's complicated and it's hard. And yet, joy always. Joy is always there for you. This joy exists in spite of circumstances. So if you're anything like me, you think, well, if I can just get over this bump of the road, bump in the road, if I can just get through this hardship, if I can just get through this particular phase of life, I can get my kids in school or I can get my kids graduated from school or I can get just enough money in my bank account, then I'll exhale and then there will be joy. A 1978 study was done on those who had won the lottery And at that time, they found, you know, you would think that those who win the lottery are a happy group, right? The study found that the lottery winners were not significantly happier than those who had been paralyzed in an auto accident. A more recent research has determined that about 50% of our capacity to cultivate happiness in our lives is set by our genes and our temperament. 
So the researchers called it a set point. It's what you and I call a personality. 50% of our ability to cultivate happiness is set by our personality. The other 50% is determined by some practices that we incorporate in our life. One of those practices is gratitude. Are you purposely thankful? Before you go to sleep at night, when you put your head on your pillow, can you think or two, of two or three things that you're really grateful for? That's gratitude. The second is kindness. Do you choose to be generous to other people? Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote, We grow in kindness when our kindness is tested. So kindness then is a choice. You can choose to be kind even when those around you are being difficult. If kindness is a choice, though, so is gratitude, and so is the third practice that you can put in your life, and that is the practice of reframing situations or reframing stories. So can you put a positive spin on any narrative that you're involved in? Can you put a positive spin on any story that you're telling about your life or about what's going on in your life? So can you take a glass that's half empty and describe it to other people as being half full? There's a book about joy that was published just a couple of years ago. It's called The Book of Joy, and it's an interview and a conversation between two old religious leaders, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. These two old religious leaders define joy as being shining contentment or spiritual radiance. This shining contentment, they say, is born out of a deep sense of well-being and benevolence. So when I hear a deep sense of well-being and benevolence, I think about the importance of connection in finding joy, connection with God, and connection with other people. The advice that Paul gives to the Philippians isn't simply rejoice always. What he writes to them is rejoice in the Lord always. These final exhortations that Paul gives at the end of this letter to the Philippians at first glance appears to be like just a long list of good advice. Like what I say to Claire as she leaves to return to school. I say things like take good care of yourself, eat well, get enough sleep, buy groceries, drive carefully, put gas in your car. Those kinds of things, right? But I think what Paul wants them to know is not a long list of good advice, but what Paul wants them to know is that this perspective of joy is attainable because of their faith. It's attainable because the Lord is near. The Lord is near now as we live and we breathe and we speak, and the Lord is coming soon, returning to set all things right. So we experience God's presence in each moment, and then we expect continued deliverance until deliverance is available for all. So don't let your attention, Paul writes, don't let your attention endlessly orbit around your sufferings, around what's not right. Joy is not in bright circumstances, but joy is instead in shared connection. 
You probably noticed that the second translation that we read together of this particular passage, we didn't use the word rejoice, but instead the word, the Greek word is translated celebrate. I think celebrating is hard to do alone. I guess you can, but really it's a joint experience. It's hard to do by yourself. N.T. Wright says that we tend to think of joy as welling up inside of each of us and to some extent that's the case but rejoicing in the first century he teaches was a public display it was a celebration there were great festivals and games and shows that were organized to celebrate a town or a city or a particular minor god so rejoicing was about a public celebration, and I am beginning to recognize the public nature of joy, that joy often appears in my life as a spark of connection, connection with God in grateful prayer and connection with other people in generosity. I've been thinking about joy this week like, like the parachute that we used to pull out in PE class when I was a kid. One person with that giant parachute wasn't much fun. You can't get much done with one person in that giant parachute. You can't really even get much done with that giant parachute in PE class and two people. But three people, four people, 10, 20, then there's some action. And I believe that joy is shared in that same way between us, among us. Author Karen Wright Marsh says that C.S. Lewis, when he wrote on matters of faith, he often wrote about joy. When, as a young adult, he was in his early 30s, when he returned to his cradle faith, C.S. Lewis said it wasn't through fear that he returned to the faith or a sense of duty, but it was instead through a willingness to be charmed God, Lewis explained, is the source of joy, the source of joy that captivates our hearts and our minds. When C.S. Lewis found himself in a time of grief after losing the surprise late love of his life to cancer, when he lost her, he had a dream during his time of grief. And in this dream, he dreamt that he was trapped. He was trapped inside of an airless, lightless dungeon alone. But then he realized in this dream that he heard a sound. He heard a sound that was far away, and he realized that he wasn't, he wasn't trapped. But if he could hear that sound, then he was in fact free. And in the dream, he heard a second sound, another sound, and the second sound was laughter. It was the laughter of a friend that was close by, right beside him, and he said it was a good, good sound. It was the sound of joy. Remember Lucy in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia? She's one of the characters. She's a little girl, and remember it's Lucy who fumbles around in the wardrobe full of musty old cloaks and coats, and then she's the first to step outside of the wardrobe into a quiet world that's just glistening with snow. When she encounters Aslan, the majestic lion, he says to her, I knew you would not be long in coming to me. 
joy shall be yours. I'm more quickly recognizing joy these days in my life by the sound that accompanies it. You know, it's, it's the song and music in worship that tips me off. It's the sound of laughter coming from the kid's side of my house, or it's the sound of the dog who's snoring next to my desk as I'm writing, the bouncing of the basketball outside, or the words, I'm home, coming through the back door as the back door is open and closed with excitement. Joy has a sound. Are you listening for joy? Are you listening? Because it's there. It's there whether we hear it or not. Would you pray with me? Gracious and joyful God, you are truth and righteousness. You are purity and beauty. So this morning we notice and we admire and we praise your creative work. May we each be overcome with a contentment that shines this Advent season. Amen.